everybody. Welcome to episode six of the Mobilecast. We're still coming to you live from Denver at Bryform. And right now we're in the middle of our series on VMI, virtual mobile infrastructure. And I am lucky enough to have Stephanie Fone, uh, president and CEO of Remodium with me. Stephanie, introduce yourself. Say hello. Tell us a little bit about Remodium and what you do. Great. Hello, Brian. Glad to be here. Um, my name is Stephanie Fone. I'm CEO of Remodium, and I have been in the security industry for over 20 years and was most recently the CEO of White Hat Security, where I took the company from about eight people to over 300 people. And prior to that, I've been with companies like Security Focus and Tripwire as well. So I have a long tenure within the industry. And, and to be fair, I've, I've been a fan of your uh, tenure. I've, I work with a lot of people in InfoSec. So. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Remodium is a leading provider of virtual mobile infrastructure. We've developed a virtual mobile platform that enables employees to securely access critical business data really from any service, anywhere, anytime. And they can do that in a way that provides complete data protection because through virtualization, no critical data, no corporate assets are ever resident on the mobile device. So we, we've been talking about VMI for um, the last two episodes. You're actually the third company we've had. Um, you have the benefit of going last in some ways. But, you know, before we even get there, you guys made a recent announcement. You're no longer just Remodium. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? That's great. Yes. Um, as of June 30th, we were acquired by Avast Software, which is one of the largest consumer antivirus companies um, out of Europe, Central Europe. They're headquartered in Prague, the Czech Republic. And that is something that had been in the works um, for a while, and our Teams knew each other, were familiar with, with each other from the past, and um, they came forward to us with um, an offer that was very attractive to us. And along with the acquisition offer, they also agreed to enable us to run as a separate division and have agreed to fund us as we continue our growth in the area. So and, you're essentially a wholly owned subsidiary in some way, yes, shape or form. Yes, exactly. Structurally, we'll be integrated more closely. And we are planning in general to leverage the Avast brand. But it was very attractive to us because this is something that they see as, they see Remodium as their cornerstone of moving into the enterprise space. So we're kind of their core capability now in enterprise mobility. And that's an area that they're focused on. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, one of the comments that, you know, a bunch of us who've been in mobile for a while and, you know, talked to companies and analyze, et cetera, looked at it and said, antivirus, VMI, I'm struggling to kind of see the relationship. And, you know, the good news is, Holy owned subsidiary, you kind of get to run on your own, but mm -hmm. it sounds like Avast has some uh, aspirations there beyond what you do, and you know you're just the beginning, maybe. Yes, exactly, and um, obviously my tenure with Avast is not long yet, and so I don't know all of their history and all of their statistics, but I know that they are very large in consumer antivirus. Um, they brought on a um, U.S. based ex Symantec. Um, 
CEO named Vince Steckler back in 09. And what he did was began to grow the company, you know, very rapidly and began to look for new areas that he thought would be um, interesting, high growth areas for the company. And so um, this is one of those areas. They're very focused on enterprise mobility and um, there is a plan within the company to expand in that area. And to be fair, you know, although remoting may not, from the outside, may not look like the best fit, certainly for you with your security background and what you've done, this is Mm -hmm. certainly a little bit easier for you to see and understand, I'm guessing. Well, the core team, we were all security people, really. And um, that was one of the things that's very attractive because we see um, other compatibilities with their existing technology. So we have our core product, but um, there are a lot of exciting things on the horizon that go really, you know, beyond that core product. So let's get back to Remodium. So let's start with the history of Remodium. How old? Where, what's its genesis? Yeah, the um, company was founded at the end of 2012 um, by Sanana Ren, Pablo Sole, and then two other co-founders and they really came out of stealth by um, winning the sandbox competition at RSA in 13 and that's really what led them to getting their early seed funding Um, and they took some seed funding from um, Draper Nexus and um, so with Draper Nexus they had some relationships in the Japanese markets because of their LPs and so initially the areas that they focused on were the Japanese market because those relationships were already there. And so we already have um, two producing partners, Hitachi Solutions and Magnica Networks. And we have a half a dozen customers that we've gotten from those relationships. You you kind of started in manufacturing. Right. Some of the core um, customers were Japanese manufacturing. And then some of our early direct customers are e-commerce and um, retail. As well, so we have a um, kind of a broad base right now. And then also, we did an OEM in the government space. You know, a very large defense contractor um, who shall remain nameless, but, as, as they usually do. Yes, yes, and we did that through um, those were through Sinan's early relationships. So all of that was in place before I came on board, and I joined the company around Thanksgiving of last year, of 2014. And what they really needed was someone to you know help them move into the enterprise market in the U.S. And that's something that um, I do well, right? I know how to do. And so, yes, you do. Yeah. And so I had been advising the company, got introduced by another colleague in the security industry. Of course, it's a small world. And I got so excited about what they were doing that um, I agreed to come on board um, as CEO. So virtual mobile infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Any listeners who caught the last two podcasts, tell me if I need to differentiate, but you're mm-hmm. running Android. You can't do iOS, no fault of your own. Apple doesn't allow you to do that. I'm assuming you don't do Windows or anybody else other than Android. On the virtualization side, also web apps. Okay. So Android and web apps. So Android and web apps, and you provide the clients to iOS and Android, anybody else, or just iOS? or Yeah, right now we can also um, stream to your laptop, and coming very soon is um, the Windows, the latest Windows client. Okay. So on the back end, you're running on what? um... Yeah, so let me tell you, what we've done is we have a patent-pending technology that enables us to virtualize Android in runtime on Linux. So basically, on a single Linux VM, we can pack up to 75 
concurrent users or concurrent virtual instances that we call them. What this does is it enables greater scalability at lower cost. Because essentially in other solutions, there's a one-to-one kind of perpetual VM. They are virtualizing the entire OS. What we're doing is virtualizing just what we need to provide the experience for the user. No more, no less. But that is more resource efficient the way we're doing it. So you with the security background that you have, Mm -hmm. what are the security implications of doing that? Because I'm sure that's one of the things you dove Mm -hmm. into before you joined. So No, absolutely. I think um, when Sanan and the team um, decided to kind of stop what they were doing, and they had been with a company called Immunity doing consulting for the DOD, basically, they were looking at, you know, third-party applications and poking holes in them, and they'd seen a lot of different things. It's actually interesting how much of all the VMI vendors pretty much came out of either the NSA, the DOD, you know, these government agencies that absolutely wanted to protect what was on a device. Yeah, exactly, because that's where the need has been greatest. And so their focus was always security from the very beginning. And so they built in, um, you know, a number of core, you know, security aspects to the product that, again, you know, aren't necessarily, you know, core in all products, right? And one of those is this idea of, um, so the core of what we do is virtualizing in the data center. It can really be any public or private cloud and then stream to any surface, right? And so by definition, the data security is as strong as it can possibly be because there's no data that's ever resident on the device. And corporate applications are never resident on the end device, okay? Also, we have this idea of a lack of persistency, right? So even if there's no data on the device, if you have a persistent connection back with corporate, then, you know, bad actors can use that in a, you know, stolen device to actually build a beachhead um, in the corporate environment, right, in the corporate network. So by having a non-persistent environment that actually adds an extra layer of security. So, so when you log out of an app or your workspace and, and actually before we even ask that question, we'll come back to that. Right. Let's talk about it from the client. The client I'm assuming either has an app on their um, iOS or Android device. Mm-hmm. They, I don't know if it's in the app store or not. Let's mm-hmm. see. Sure. Yeah. Um, so it is in the app store. Mm-hmm. And they click on it, they log in, and it presents them with the launcher. What's it look like to them? What's the experience for the user? So actually, the um, so the core control comes from IT, okay? And so um, the virtual instance is implemented by IT on the corporate side. They're the ones that decide which applications um, can be accessed by each user, right? And there's... Um, a lot of granular control that I can talk about um, with you in a moment. But once IT has decided which apps can be provisioned by which user, then a welcome email is sent to the user. And what they do is they click on the link and it takes them to the um, app store, um, whether it's iOS or Android, right? And then they download the the, um, client-side product, which is essentially just a shell that opens the connection. And... um, and then it self-provisions in like three minutes. So the user experience is very seamless and very simple. Again, because IT has already decided, you know, which apps okay. they have access to. Right. And 
you obviously run that client-side app or container mm-hmm. to also give you access to the sensors that right. are on the device. Can right, you, exactly. Can you talk to me about what sensors you give access and what type of what what you can and can't do with them versus what you and possibly if you can what sensors you don't give access to? Yeah, exactly. So um, we do as part of the virtualization process, we virtualize these sensors. Okay, GPS would be you know a big one, and mm-hmm. so we can we can add control such that you can decide whether you want to um, give an application you know access to your GPS or whether you just want to say okay I'm in Iceland for example right and um, so that you can add that um, anonymity if that's what IT wants okay and so one of the things that we've added into the product again because of our security background is that we have a policy engine that for within groups and down to specific users, you can identify exactly which apps you know they have access to, and then also where they can have access. And so we do that through geofencing, Wi-Fi fencing, and IP fencing, right? And the geofencing, there's granularity down to, for example, a hospital campus. Yep. Right. You can give people access within the campus, and then you walk outside out. Of the, that. You walk out of the campus. You no longer have access to it until you walk back on the next morning. Exactly. So all that granular control. We can give them control as to how to access, like um, dual auth, single sign on, you know, or you know, simple auth, and then also exactly what they can do, you know, in terms okay. of permissions within each of those applications. And so you can give, you know, one group, you know more permissions or less permissions than another group and down to the individual user level. So is it fair to say part of your secret sauce is your policy engine that you've built into this? I mean, mm-hmm. there were, obviously there's some similarities between you and the other vendors, but right. your policy engine gives you certain controls that others don't provide currently. Exactly. I would say that. Along with the fact that we enable... The scalability at a lower cost. I think that's going to be one of the big barriers to entry for VMI is if you have to spin up a separate VM for every user and you have 10,000 users, you know, client side users, it's expensive. They're in big numbers. And the fact that we can provide, you know, 10, 20 X, you know, the density um, for the same cost. Um, as other solutions, I think it's going to be a big um, benefit to us. Do you see most of your customers running on premises or in cloud? We have some of each, but we've built the product to give them the option so they control it. Today, we don't have, you know, a cloud platform offering. Our users control it, but they so can they, choose to deploy If they want to the deploy cloud. on AWS, they can, right. for exactly. example. Exactly. Or else they can do it or on Azure. VMware or Azure right. or on exactly. vCloud Air. Exactly. And on-premises, it's yeah. VMware, it's uh, Microsoft Hyper-V. Right. Um, or I'm going to guess bare bones if they really, bare metal if they want to. For the Linux. Yeah. yeah exactly. So that gives us a good idea. So you've talked about um, GPS. Mm-hmm. Obviously, microphone and speakers, that, that's a given. Mm-hmm. Things like the accelerometer, do you go beyond orientation you know, versus you know, landscape versus portrait? Do you, mm-hmm. you know, one, of the, one of the comments I've made, can I play a driving game on you? you know, forget lag and all that stuff, but yeah. how much of the accelerometer yeah. stuff do you actually grab and not grab? And- so everything, rotate, zoom, pinch, everything that you would have, all of those um, um, basically core functionality within the phone, we virtualize those. How, yeah, do, you handle, how do you handle the camera? Because that's a, you all do it differently, so that's an interesting one. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so um, I will 
answer that at a high level, right? And so today what we do is we virtualize the phone. You take a picture with the your own phone, and then those pixels are pulled in, and they are never resonant on the phone itself. They immediately go to the back-end server. So are you taking a pic? So, I mean, obviously you're using your own camera, but, you know, at least one of your competitors takes a picture on the phone, immediately sends it down and deletes it. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them do them straight across. Some of them actually get, you have to use their, I don't know if you have to use your app or you're actually using the onboard app that's with it. How's that getting based upon the um, app that you virtualized? That is, those detailed questions are something that would be better for um, Sedona Red. Okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll try and yeah, follow in up. In terms of the functions, exact functionality of that. Okay, no, that's that's fair. Yep. So you've talked about the density. You've, talk, you know, you've talked about your first traction was in uh, manufacturing. You're moving up now. What else Ooh. differentiates you from your competitors? I mean... This space, I should say it's crowded, but there are about six of you at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, three or four of you are more high profile than others. Right. You know, yeah. what, do you, what do you see when you're going out to people? Is it just there are mm-hmm. so, there's so much greenfield out there that you're not running into each other often? Or, you know, mm-hmm. are you actually competing against deals with these guys? Okay, so um, a couple of questions to answer there. So sorry that that yeah, happens no, no, I ask no. a bunch at a time. So I think for the most part it is a huge greenfield opportunity. Um, again, it seems that Hypuri is spending a lot of time in the government market. We have our OEM partner in the government market and so we're really focused on the US enterprise. And so we um, on a day-to-day basis, we really don't see, you know, our direct competitors that often. We compete more often with Citrix and with the NDM or the EMM players, right, today. Um, having said that, and we see, you know, these different groups, you know, we have direct competitors and then we have substitutes and we have benefits that accrue, you know, depending on who you're comparing us with. Of course. But when we're looking at straight VMI, I think another thing that um, makes us stand out is also our streaming technology. Okay, so let's talk about that. Yeah, so um, we do use H.264, which um, is used by other players as well, Um, but we've recently enhanced to WebRTC, and so we're using that. Basically, when the guys came together to do this, they said... um, how should we model, you know, our streaming technology? Because it's critical, right, in a client situation. And so they modeled after companies like Gaikai, right, the cloud gaming companies. And so we're utilizing WebRTC, but we're enhancing it in a way that basically enables us to um, optimize for those things that we need to optimize for in business applications and productivity, right? So we're not worrying about 3D rendering and things like that, but a lot of things optimizing for scrolling, you know, and things that the user would be doing on a day-to-day basis. So I believe that, yeah, our streaming technology is superior to others. So what happens, um, I go to 4G, 3G, Wi-Fi, and as Mm -hmm. I'm moving between them, you know, how's that affect your product? Yeah, as long as it's one megabit per second. We're fine. Yeah. It's, well, 3, 3G is a struggle there when yeah. you're talking, you know, it's LTE, great, 4G, yeah. Um, 
you drop down to Ryzen 3G on uh, CDMA, mm-hmm. it, it, it's not always a pleasant experience. Yeah, and I think that this is something that we spent a lot of time with as well because our protocols are adaptive and, and the way we've... Um, we have designed them so that um, it does adapt, you know, for um, the the broadband conditions um, as, that the user experiences to to optimize and enhance. And I think also when you know when the corporation is looking, you, we're also optimizing in terms of which server are you coming from. Depends on where you are. Okay, so the, that, at, yeah, perfect. That, yeah. That's the question I was going to lead to. So latency is a huge deal. Um, for someone like me, I travel mm-hmm. a lot. I'm in New Jersey. My company's based out of California. I travel all over the place. I may go to Europe, somewhere else. Mm-hmm. How's that work? Because, you know, if I'm in Europe, companies in California, there's a whole new latency that I've built into this process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think you kind of led into that one. I let you right, right. just run with it. And again, this, this will be, you know, the high level and then the deeper um, sure. explanation will come from Sinan. But, um, we basically build, um, out to scale linearly. And, and so depending on whether your organization, you know, your organization controls this, right? And so um, whether they're using AWS and they have, you know, nodes all over the U.S. or all over the world, then um, the product will automatically optimize for where you're located. Okay. But it's within the corporate infrastructure. So I'm going to guess that because you really, you sound more like a I want to say on-premises company, although, you know, it's the company's choice whether they want to use cloud or not. Right. I'm going to guess there's a nice, you know, a nice consultative engagement here on how the architecture is set up and mm-hmm. running for these companies to make sure they're successful. Well, it's interesting because um, one of the first avenues that has developed for us has been through service providers. And so we've gotten a lot of excitement um, in Japan, early on, NTT Neomate, they are working with Magnica Networks as a second-tier distributor. And so they're actually You, you, pulled, you pulled that name out quite well. I know I you, like, no, you had to think had about to it. think which one is NTT working with. And... Um, because I would get in big trouble if I named the wrong one. If it makes you feel better, I get names wrong all the time. And, you know, so sometimes, yeah, I, when I see you do that. It was either Hitachi or Magnica, and I had to make sure I got the right one. Um, but anyway, they've been offering Remodium as, as a service. And so we see that as a very interesting channel for us. And again, you know, the product is very, very simple to deploy, but we do see that there's an opportunity for partners um, because that won't be something that we will do. It will be something that we will enable our partners to do, whether traditional VARs or service providers to, you know, um, do these um, consulting engagements to help optimize and, you know, help our customers implement. And that will be something that will be, you know, added incentive on their part you know, in terms of, you know, providing the Remodium solution. Do you see yourselves as complementary or complete, you know, completely replacing EMM, MDM mm-hmm. vendors, EMM vendors and all that? Because, you know, your comment earlier was very interesting of you have some people who instead of using EMM use you. And there's also the piece of you are an Android desktop piece that you're throwing out there, at least the parts of it, and wouldn't it be easier to manage some of that through an EMM that was running on that? So I'm curious of, you know, 
Maybe where you say Android desktop. I, I shouldn't say it. Android. It's you're Android. For, you're for, it's mobile. No, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I, I should say. Surface, I right? should say an Android workspace. That's okay, probably a better way go. to put yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That good. You know, I've, I've been doing mobile for so long, sure. but yes, we're yeah. been talking. I was talking desktop earlier. Um, we're at a VDI. You know, prime pri form. You know, there's a lot of talk about VDI. Um, there is some mobile here, which is very good. But yes, an Android mm-hmm. workspace. So. Yeah. How do, how do you see that? How do you see your relationship with EMMs um, now and into the future and where they fit or don't fit with you guys? Yeah, exactly. So that is a very interesting question for us. We are not an MDM. Okay. We see, you know, obviously the MDM um, players began as, you know, device provisioning and management, right? And so we really run on the layer above, right? We're about, you know, the deployment control um, and provisioning of applications, right? And, you know, visibility and control of those applications all along the way. So we can be deployed on top of MDMs and, you know, you can utilize, you know, basically, you know, through your Microsoft Active Directory or, you know, using the MDMs to help um, provision our solution, which is a very simplified way to do that. However, you know, we do have um, situations where we've been compared against MDMs. Mm-hmm. And um, also we have one customer in particular who they saw that their MDM was causing them problems when they were trying to upgrade applications that they would have to, they had like a thousand users that they'd have to run around and chase down all those users to get them to upgrade, right? So obviously when you have a virtualization solution, then you just worry about that one gold build of your application in your corporate data center. You upgrade that and everybody automatically has access to the upgraded application, right? So beautiful, you know, it saves a lot of pain, you know, and headaches for the IT group. And so we have had a customer who basically said, I'm going to not use MDM anymore. I'm going to use remote and VMP because not necessarily for the greater security, which is another added benefit, but just because you make my life a lot easier. Okay. And then also, if one uses remote and VMP in a BYOD environment, right? the the need to control the device just goes away, right? Because no corporate assets ever touch the device. So really, you don't care about the device anymore in a BYOD environment. So in a COPE environment, of course, the corporation cares. Yeah, you're after my own heart. You're using yeah. BYOD and COPE. I talk yeah, about them quite yeah, a bit. Exactly. It, it's interesting. You know, I said in 2011, MDM's dead, and you know they now call themselves the EMM, and mm-hmm. most of them are doing some form of MAM, mobile mm-hmm. application mm-hmm. management. Um, a lot of them are moving towards um, a term I coined, MIM, mobile information management, mm-hmm. um, years ago. But it, I don't disagree with a lot of what you're saying. Do you see yourself moving more from a workspace to an app? So a user, for example... You're giving them link, and it's, you know mm-hmm. it's, it's a single whether it's a shortcut or however you do it. Mm-hmm. They pull up link, and it's actually more like if they're on iOS and iOS, it's an app experience versus yeah. a workspace experience. Yeah, it's that's interesting. It's um, and that really um, goes to it's not really a product decision or a product roadmap decision. It's really a good market strategy um, decision, and. We're evaluating that because what we're seeing is, again, partnerships with ISVs where we can say, hey, this is Remodium for SAP. 
this is Remodium for box, right? And that we can provide, you know, that um, application-specific solution. Um, we see that as something that um, is very appealing, you know, from that perspective. So we're we're evaluating right now. Really, we give the user the choice as to which applications you know they want to include in the workspace, so they can include all of their corporate applications or some of their corporate applications. But we see that as an interesting way to partner and get access potentially to um, our ISV partners, you know, ecosystem. So, yeah. Okay. It's interesting. Yeah, it's a, I like the strategy. You know, you seem to be very strategy focused on how you crack these different markets, which mm-hmm. is – in some ways, a little bit different from my conversations with you know the other two vendors. And what's nice is we're actually going to do a roundtable tomorrow with all three of them. Mm-hmm. So that'll be the capping episode for our listeners, but and kind of fun. But you know, it's interesting hearing the difference in strategy and how you approach it. Long term, where do you you know? Obviously, you just joined with Avast. I don't mm-hmm. know that you can say that, but you know what their plans are. But long term, where do you see yourselves? Where are you going? Well. That is a great question. And you're the CEO, so I get to ask you that. Exactly. See, with Sina, I can ask that. I can't ask that question. You, I can. (laughs) Exactly. Well, we clearly see ourselves as emerging as the leader in VMI. And it's because... Your your, your competitors may not be happy with that. They may disagree with me, but I can clearly state that um, in our conversation, for the record. Um, because of, you know, kind of the core differentiators that we have, right? We believe it's a better user experience. It's easier to deploy. It's lower cost with greater scalability. So, and obviously the greater security, which is key. And all these differentiators and the strength of our core team really means that we're going to be able to continue to stay ahead you know, the competition. Now, we're also going to continue to expand our capabilities. And I really can't talk about, you know, which specific areas today, but... Not that I won't ask, but you can't talk about, that's fair. But one of the great benefits of having a strong parent with resources is that, you know, they are willing to support us. You can go through some of your growing pains and not have to worry about uh, funding. Yeah, exactly. It, It allows us really to focus on the business rather than, you know, the CEO usually spends, you know, quite a bit of her time, you know, focused on fundraising, you know, along the way. This, this way we all get to focus just on growing the business and we have a parent that's really encouraging us to grow aggressively and rapidly, which is a huge benefit. Excellent. Um, great answer, by the way. You know, if you don't mind, and I'm going to change the subject a little bit, I don't usually get to talk with women CEOs and, you know, it's a, it's a shame. Mm-hmm. I have, you know, thank you for coming on. But if you don't mind me asking, what advice would you give to women out there in the tech arena? I have two daughters who both seem to be going into tech. One starts college in a month. Good, great. So I, I guess the question is, you know, if, if I, you don't mind me uh, broaching that subject, no, um, not at all. Where's your um, daughter going to school? Uh, MIT. 
You're kidding me. No. You know I went to grad school at MIT. No, I did not know you. I, I went to undergrad at MIT. Well, so there you go. So following, following Ed, my wife also went to MIT. So oh, great. following in her How parents' exciting. footsteps. Yeah. She'll get embarrassed if she ever listens to the podcast, <laughs> which thankfully she doesn't listen as often as uh, she she should because she's my daughter. But um, you know, just curious where you stand on there because obviously you've risen through the ranks. You have an unbelievable reputation and certainly a company builder reputation. Thank you. And although that. we're straying a little bit from Remodium, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't at least ask you, you know, what advice and, you know, some of the stuff that, you know, as a woman CEO and mm-hmm. president that you've gone through. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh. So let me see. Is the question about advice or advice I would give them? Sure. I'll take anything you give me, yeah. but because uh, to be to be fair, audience, I I didn't let her know that I was going to do this, and that's probably probably bad on my part. But um, we set this up rather quickly, yeah. so I'll I'll, I'll but, take the blame for that. Yeah, but of course, it's a subject that's near and dear to my heart, right? And I think that um, women have made great strides in technology and, you know, in business in general. But I think there's much more work that we have to do. And, you know, I think that the most important thing for, you know, young women as they're coming out, I mean, I think the biggest hurdle is there's not enough young women in tech that are that are going into college and getting computer psychiatry. Science. Computer science. <laughs> Freudian slip there. Computer psychiatry degrees. Um, we need some of those yes, for, for completely exactly, different reasons. Exactly. So comp sci and engineering, basically the the STEM areas. And so um, I have been involved off and on with um, groups like a group like um, MentorNet that they're trying to basically help young women, you know, bridge that um, gap between um, college and um, the corporate world in those you know STEM fields. So that's the biggest challenge is there's young girls are still steered away from being good at math. It's, you know, it's still happening today. And so I think there's a lot of work being done in that area. Then moving forward, I think the important thing really that women can do is just um, basically be gender neutral. You know, it's, we're men and women, and but in the workplace, it really should be transparent. We're people. Yeah, we're people. Everyone's people, and we come from different cultures and different places. And but it doesn't have to be about being a woman. You're competent in what you do, and um, gender really shouldn't be part of the conversation. Um, again, and I, hopefully I, we get there. I mean, I exactly. I think it's a it's um, it's a a. It's a mindset that takes many years to change, but I think that it is changing, and I think it's changing in the valley. Um, I think it's changing in the valley today, so I'm excited about that. Well, that's awesome. That, yeah. that, that's excellent to hear. Um, I want to wrap up. You know, I promised you around 30 minutes. We're already at 35. Uh, my last question didn't help, but. Uh, any last things that you you know you want to say about um, Remodium or anything else that we've been talking about? Well, I um, one of the things that I didn't spend a lot of time with that I wanted to, you know, just kind of expound a little bit on. Is, sure, absolutely. Is the privacy angle? Yeah. Right? The, by the way, the time's yours, not mine. So, okay. 
Certainly give you a couple more minutes. Probably, great, great. Our, our first episode this season was with Steve Wilson from Constellation Research where we talked privacy, identity, and mobile. So Good. Privacy, pri- privacy is, is yeah. near and dear to me. Again, we see this as an emerging issue and one that will, you know, kind of drive corporations more toward um, VMI and VMI solutions. Because, again, in um, a BYOD environment, when you have the Remodium workspace, you know that your corporate, you know, business, corporate apps are completely separate from your private apps. And so users don't have to worry about their private data being viewed or altered by the corporation. And so their privacy can be maintained, which is really important. I think users are having, um, you know, major problems with the idea that on their own device, the corporation can wipe all of their private data if they lose their phone, right? They may not want that to happen, but they have no choice. Also, when you engage with an MDM, um, applications, all of the um, traffic, all of the data traffic from the phone will go through the corporate infrastructure. I, I, to be fair, I think that's I think that's more of old school MDM where it was whole device VPN. Right. Um, whereas these days, almost all of them are using per app VPN and you know split tunneling. Although there are right. some that still do do old school fair. Right. And when you open up that um, tunnel within a certain application, then um, in many cases that remains open for you know with your personal data, and that could be something that's changing over time. Um, but the idea that um, the corporation can monitor and view your personal data is something that people have a problem with. So again, everyone understands its problem, and so as you said. Those solutions um, are evolving, but with a solution like Remodium, it's completely clean and clear, and the user knows that their privacy is maintained. And I think that's a huge benefit. It's a huge benefit, I think, that crosses, it's not just Remodium, but it crosses all All, VMI solutions. All the VMI vendors. Yeah. But I think it will be, eventually will be a driver of adoption. I don't think it's a big enough problem today and that users are not um, necessarily screaming loudly enough, but I think over time it will be a strong driver. Well, excellent. First of all, thank you very much for taking the time to be part of this series on VMI and to talk to our listeners and appreciate. So thank you very much. Thank you, Brian. And listeners, this has been great. I can tell you that um, obviously we have... Um, one more episode, which will be the roundtable with the VMI vendors coming up within a couple days after this one appears. And, and we already have the one after that in the can. So that'll be with Hop2, and we'll be talking about at refactoring. So live from Denver, Colorado at Pride Forum, thank you very much. 